Welcome to another episode of the Artesian Podcast. My name is Kurt Tan. I'm responsible for North American fixed income. And with me is John McCartney, founding partner and head of ESG. On today's show, we'll be talking about greenwashing, what it is, the ways it can show up in your portfolios, and what are some of the strategies that can be used to identify and guard against greenwashing. Let's get started. So John, why don't we uh, define for our listeners what greenwashing is and give some examples. Well, greenwashing is basically false marketing. It's using eco-friendly themes and terms to try and give products an environmentally friendly halo they don't deserve. The term was first coined in 1986 by New York environmentalist Westervelt, who was investigating hotels who were claiming that reusing towels were saving the environment when they were actually just, you know, trying to cut costs. But greenwashing, like any term, has got gradients. Everything from false misleading advertising, like in the 1980s, we had the oil companies saying we're saving the butterflies by donating $5,000 to a charity, but then spending $500,000 on advertising the fact that they're done, all the way through to what we call green scamming. Green scamming, we've got a lot of terms out there. Elaborate on that, please. What is it? Okay, green scamming is basically the practice of using environmental names for groups that aren't environmentally friendly at all. These groups are often backed by industry participants with the aim of pushing anti-environmental initiatives. Examples include things like the Global Climate Coalition. These guys are basically commercial enterprises that got together to try and stop or slow down environmental policies by using lobbying. Or the National Wetlands Coalition. These guys are, you know, backed by oil drilling and, uh, you know, real estate interests. Okay, so, you know, you've talked about some product examples and, you know, advertising-based examples of greenwashing. Let's talk about the financial markets. How does greenwashing show up in the securities markets? And where do you see that risk happening the most? You know, greenwashing in the in securities market is less of the green scamming, if you like, and more of the traditional greenwashing, trying to give products a, a green halo that they possibly don't deserve. And the greatest issues we sort of see are, are more in the equity markets and, and more really around benchmarked products or ETFs, exchange-traded funds. We've got fund managers who are claiming to be eco-friendly by having low-carbon portfolios. And what they're doing here is that they are basically having less carbon intensity than the benchmark. So they'll still have exposure to oil and gas companies or mining companies, but they're doing what's called best in class. So they'll have exposure to the best or the, you know, the lowest carbon intensity of the mining sector or the oil and gas sector. But the question for the investor is, is this really what I signed up for? Did I want to be funding companies that are still polluting the planet? How about the green bond markets? Can we talk a little bit about how that is maybe different than the equity market? Yeah, in, the, in the green bond market, things are much more targeted. The issuers are required to use the proceeds of the bond issuance towards specific and qualified green projects. So this means segregating the proceeds for the bond sale, selecting eligible green projects, then tracking the deployment of these funds and then reporting on their progress and that impact on an annual basis. So whilst greenwashing is more topical for equity markets where the use of proceeds is more opaque, it's less relevant for the green bond market. Let's recap that because this is an important point. Most corporate debt issuances, their use of proceeds is really across very broad categories, such as general corporate purposes, which is a catch-all for a get-to-spend-it on a lot of things. Or sometimes it could be for targeted acquisitions. But with the green bond market, 
there's a, a different framework there, right? Can you talk about that? Yeah, the main thing to highlight here is that for a green bond versus a non-green bond is this use of proceeds framework. If you're going to issue a green bond, it's got to either be issued under the climate bond initiative or under the green bond principles. Both of these frameworks ask that the issuer of the bond, the green bond, explain to investors how they're going to use the proceeds from the bond sale. So this covers everything from how they're going to segregate the money they raise from the bond to who and how they select the projects they intend to fund and then reporting on their progress on an annual basis. For investors, there's minimal difference between the two. There's the climate bond initiative reporting is basically mandatory and the green bond principles is voluntary. And both types of green bonds are normally issued with a second party opinion from either consultants or rating agencies. And this actually gives more comfort to investors that what's on the label matches what they're actually buying. However, in the actual market, we see about 85% of issuers going for the green bond principles just because of its voluntary nature, and 15% of the outstandings are in the climate bond initiative. And the green bond principles that was created by the International Capital Markets Association, that's a group of you know industry participants who basically are trying to create a solution within their industry for climate change. Does yeah, this, and, to, and to avoid greenwashing. Does this mean that green bond funds who own green bonds are avoiding greenwashing? No, not necessarily. Once again, you can have this concept of a best-in-class or low-carbon bond fund that is benchmarking and is still financing heavy carbon industries, just less than the benchmark. However, if you're looking at green bond fund only, then they should be buying bonds that are issued under this green bond framework, so it's much more difficult to greenwash. So you brought the topic of carbon-heavy companies. We're talking about materials, industrial sector. Can they issue green bonds, and does that happen? Yeah, we've, uh, we've actually seen oil and gas companies issue green bonds to reduce their footprint. And also, you know, obviously investors' responses vary to that. And most of them refuse to buy the securities because it wasn't in the spirit of the green bond principles. And they don't really want to support companies that are feeding the climate crisis. Okay, but if a company, let's say a, a heavy industry company is issuing a green bond to reduce its carbon footprint, shouldn't that be a good thing? Well, in, in theory, it should be. But in the example of the oil and gas company... They use the use of proceeds to help them increase or decrease their scope one emissions. So they were using the proceeds to help reduce the amount of carbon emissions from their refining process. So it was their own footprint they were trying to reduce, which worked for the green bond framework. But what they were doing was increasing the amount of fossil fuels available for downstream use. So their scope three emissions, if you like, but what happens to it after they've created the product meant that a lot of investors decided to avoid it. So this is worth reiterating. Now, this company was able to get a second party opinion to validate its green bond framework and was successfully able to issue a green bond to unlock more fossil fuel. It really tells me that investors must still do the work to ensure that there's no greenwashing in their portfolios. Yeah, as I mentioned, some investors, particularly the climate-focused ones, didn't care for this bond and they didn't buy it. Even today, it trades without a green premium and looks just like one of its regular bonds. The market is adapting, however, and the International Capital Markets Association has set, since set up you know, transition bond frameworks and launched the sustainability-linked securities market that's aimed to allow these heavier industries to issue carbon-targeted securities. And participate in the, the greeting of the economy. So that sounds like it's a way forward for the capital markets to support those industries that will take a little longer to get to net zero. 
Now, what suggestions do you have for investors who are listening on ways to guard their portfolios against greenwashing? Can you share with us some actionable tips? Yeah, there's a few things that investors should think about, and most of it sort of revolves around active management and, and engagement with the company. But there's five main things people should think about. Firstly is how ambitious is the company's goals? Are they looking to become net zero? And when are they looking to become net zero? Is it, is it 2050? Is it 2040? Is it 2030? One way for investors to look at it is to check how they're going versus their peer growth. Secondly, what are the intermediate timeframes? It's important for companies to have a short, medium and long-term goals and their timelines to achieve it. And also these goals need to be in line with other things like the Paris Agreement and other climate initiatives to make sure that they're thinking about how they fit into the global scheme of carbon reduction. Thirdly, as I mentioned earlier with Scope 1, you've got to look at the totality of the emissions. It's not, are they reducing their own footprint, but are they ballooning them in their Scope 2 or Scope 3 emissions that's then basically mitigating any advancements that are making their Scope 1 emissions. Fourthly, you've got to look on whether or not these companies are relying on offsets. Are they actually trying to reduce their own carbon emissions or are they just taking the proceeds and using it to buy carbon offsets? Because what we're really looking for is a transition to a lower carbon economy and by just buying offsets, it's, it's just a band-aid type measure. Right, a durable change. Durable change, exactly. And finally, transparency and reporting. This is probably the most important part for investors because here now we're getting you know, third-party assurances that what's been done with the money is actually going towards carbon abatement. So this allows investors to measure how their portfolio is going in terms of the carbon reduction goals that they set for themselves. So ultimately, it's all about engagement company and it's important to understand their intentionality around their carbon goals, how authentic and ambitious they are and how much support is there for this carbon initiative within the firm. Is it just a PR marketing exercise or do we have the CEO board fully involved? And you can only get to that through engagement. So engagement with companies sounds like a cornerstone strategy along with all of the other suggestions you've, you've outlined. It's really about making sure that your voice is heard and hearing straight from management, looking at the whites of your eyes, so to speak, about how authentic their goals are. Yeah, and I think that makes all the difference for the underlying investor. If they can see, especially in the investment grade or corporate space, that the, the companies are genuine and what they're trying to do is ameliorate the carbon issue, then those securities you should be comfortable buying. This sounds like a good spot to end. We thank you all for listening and stay tuned for our next episode.